0: Hey Paige, guess what time it is?
1: Is it time to record another episode?
0: It is time for our first legitimate episode mm. of our podcast. And I'm excited to get started. Our guest today is Kevin Harlan. The conversation, you you, you might have noticed, is a little bit on the longer side. Um, but we our thinking was, why would we break it into two when you're not going to get bored listening to how this goes? Just because he's... Um, the thoughts he expresses and the ideas he hits on are so important for all of us to hear. So we really think that it is something that should be taken in in one sitting, um, and we look forward to introducing you to Kevin. So briefly, before we get into our conversation page, could you explain just shortly how you know Kevin, why you brought him on, and maybe some of the ideas um, or topics that we'll hit on in the next hour or so?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited. So I get to work with Kevin um, at my normal nine to five job and he's become a really awesome friend and mentor. When we were thinking through the list of people we wanted, Kevin was one of the first and easy people to put on that list. Some of the things I'm really excited about in the conversation we had are things around what healthy masculinity looks like, partnership and marriage and how that can look different in different relationships and styles of personality. I also love his thoughts on leadership um, and just how to go about life um, leading through caring. I think those are some great topics to think through. Also, if you have a Kevin bingo board, uh, be sure to note how often, uh, how much he really talks about gratitude. I think the way that he speaks about the things he's thankful for is something that we can also take to heart. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen.
0: We're very excited for you to listen. So next, enjoy our conversation with Kevin Harlan.
1: All right. Well, Kevin, welcome. Thanks. We're so happy that you're joining us. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Okay, so... Well, uh,
2: maybe, kind of, sort of. Good sort to be of, you. You. Yeah. because you're not that excited. It's a little reluctant.
1: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll get to that in a second. But would you mind giving us a brief personal summary of just who you are. So name, title, family, all that good stuff.
2: Yeah. My name is Kevin Harlan. I'm not the broadcaster, (laughs) uh, for those of you listening. Uh, I know Paige knows that, but uh, I'm often mistaken for the famous Kevin Harlan, and I'm just the other Kevin Harlan. Right.
1: You've met him, though.
2: I have. Great story there, if we want to dive in. Not now. (laughs) Too soon. Uh, I'm married uh, to Sharon, We've been married. See, I have to do the math real quick. Right. Uh, Let's see, that's 38 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Will this year be? Yeah, this year will be 38 Mm -hmm. in June. Uh, I have two sons, uh, two fabulous granddaughters, I guess two fabulous sons, two two fabulous granddaughters, two fabulous daughter in laws, Mm -hmm. and five grandchildren. Mm -hmm. So I'm a husband, dad, grandfather. They call me pops which is fun so did you get to pick that uh yeah we did yeah that's kind of the new thing which mm-hmm. is weird it's like you're <laughs> like what do you want your grandparent names to be like i don't know uh but yeah sharon went with ami because she loves she wanted to be their friend she's uh, speaks french or has at a time in her life and so that's the french mm. for friend and mm. And, the, and my boys had all called me Pops, and so that just became the easy thing. So, mm. yeah, there's a little bit about me. I love
1: it. And I work with you at Made to Flourish. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your role there?
2: So, yeah, I work in the operation side. I've had the joy of being a part of the founding of Made to Flourish as a pastor. Uh, I was birthed out of a church where I was pastoring. Um, and so I was a board member to begin with and worked in a variety of different ways, part time for Made to Flourish for a while, and and now work full time as part of the senior leadership team and lead in our operations side. So, um, yeah, it's been a joy. We've been seven years now. It's hard to believe. Wow. The pandemic yeah. sort of skews everything yeah. from a time standpoint. So, not really,
1: that real? Right, anymore. <laughs> but
2: but seven years, uh, uh, and we work with pastors and churches across the country. Uh, helping them, and yeah, I know you know this much. But <laughs> like, I'm not explaining it to you, but maybe to the people who are <laughs> listening. People, yeah. yeah, so we help those uh, pastors and churches uh, think better and act better about what it means to integrate faith and work. And uh, so, kind of really trying to help their churches put into practice the Christian faith in what people are doing Monday through Saturday. So, mm. that's a little bit of the work that we're doing.
1: Love it. And I came. You were one of the people that interviewed me for this role that kind I'm in here.
2: Odd, kind of in this room. In this room, right here, right. right. We're in sitting this right here.
1: In room, that's right. Um, yeah. So I I came in almost four years ago now uh, as an intern with my fellowship, and um, yeah, it's just it's fun. You interviewed me then, and we've just become. You've you've taken on a mentorship role with me a little bit, and coworker and friend, and I feel like. Even with the pandemic, we were the two that would come in pretty consistently to the yep. office. Still, yep. social yep. distance, of course, but uh, yeah, it's just fun to see the way that that's progressed over yeah. the years.
2: I remember you asking me many times, "When is the pandemic going to be over?" Yeah. So. <laughs> so I would still love well, to know. Yeah. All you right. All right. For the <laughs> answers. I think. You, I remember you frowning the day when I told you it may never be over. So right. that was like. I know I was I was Debbie Downer many times during the pandemic as <laughs> yeah. I was looking at the numbers and yeah, yeah You're a numbers that was guy. that was that was not those were some fun conversations and yeah I'm grateful, Paige, that you you said yes and came here and mm. you know Thanks. that we could do this together. So
1: thank you, it was an easy yes. Cool. cool. Um, so we alluded to this earlier, but I think my favorite response that we've gotten so far in this podcast business that we're part of is I sh- you kind of peer pressured me to show you the trailer when it wasn't ready yet but I showed you the trailer for <laughs> the podcast and then you had a twofold response you said I'm on board which we were very grateful for and then something to the extent of but I'm super uncomfortable being on the show like I, I we had already asked you at that point if you would be on, but you were like, I don't know if I want to be on. I think
2: I actually told you no.
1: I think, yeah, maybe you said no. Maybe you said no. Um, I'm on board, no.
2: <laughs> I'm on board, actually,
1: but not really. <laughs> um,
2: no, I think I told you no a while back. Oh, that's we, right. When you first started talking about it. And then the, paid, the the teaser, the trailer, like, it struck some chords for me. Just hmm. to like, First of all, it was uh, just so well done and as clear as, you know, I should have anticipated that you put a lot of thought into it and the way you approached it. And um, but yeah, I getting it's I, you know I've done video editing and have been on the camera and have done a lot of that of asking people to to bring forward content. And I just have never liked being on the other side of the camera or the other side of the microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of funny because, I mean, I preached and was a pastor, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like I've been up front for a lot of time. But for some reason, it's just something about recorded content for me has never been. Uh, and I know you're learning that and you're struggling with it. It's like mm-hmm. that sense of, like, what does it look like for me to do that? And so that's why I like, yeah. no, Paige, you go do that. But, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't think it's for me.
1: And I think one of the responses that I got from you, and consistently we've got from a lot of great people that we do want to come on and talk is the phrase like, I don't think I have much to share, or like, I don't know if I'm the right person. And one thing we want to point out as a team is like, those are the kinds of people we're interested in (laughs) coming on. Um, And you were a really easy, like first ask because one of the joys of the pandemic, I guess, was like, an emptier office. And I sat across from you for like a full year or longer and just got to ask you questions about life and sometimes the topic of the church or masculinity or um, like we've had some of these conversations Mm -hmm. already and I know Mm -hmm. that you're a really thoughtful person about them and so all that to say, we've seen that maturity in masculinity usually means a humble posture Mm -hmm. and so that fit (laughs) with what we also wanted you to come on and
2: talk yeah. With us. Well, I, yeah. That's that was my once I said yes. It's like I felt like I wanted to admit that like I'm not sure mm-hmm. I'm I have things to say that would be meaningful. Um, you know, it's different like capturing something versus you and I sitting and dialoguing and yeah. just having that back and forth. So. I yeah, that's hard. It was funny even this morning that as I was leaving Sharon knew I was coming to mm-hmm. you know do the interview and she said, you know, can she could she come and she <laughs> wants to fact check it. You know, she she's like could I, could I listen and make sure. So it's like there's this sense mm-hmm. of uh and, and I mean you know me Paige, so I mean it's not like there's a whole lot of I don't anticipate anything hidden coming out uh But yet there's still something about being examined or, you know, where it's like, like, is there, do I really have anything there? Like, will it, Mm -hmm. or will you find out that Mm -hmm. there's just not much really Mm -hmm. there? So Mm -hmm. it's like, I think that's probably true for all of us. Just a sense of uh, certain insecurities and just questioning, especially around this topic of men who made me. It's like, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: like, I don't want to be seen as the man who made you. Mm -hmm. Uh Because that's not accurate,
1: <laughs>
2: but as I heard you talking about it, and that you know the trailer kind of brings that forward, that it's just recognizing there are people in our lives that do shape us, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm grateful that we've been able to have that sort of relationship and mm-hmm. and you've shaped me, so it's mm-hmm. like there's a sense of uh, to be able to go back and forth on that as long as we're recognizing that and acknowledging that. Um, I know, through the years, as a pastor and as a nonprofit leader, as we've thought about selecting staff members and selecting board members and people in places of leadership, one of the things we've really always looked for is like, are they? Do they have a certain hesitation about mm. stepping into that role? Um, the people that are clawing for it and eager for it are probably not your people. And so hmm. that's been kind of a key um, leadership factor, I think, as we look forward to, s- again, you exactly. want confidence. You want right. people to recognize that they're, they have certain giftings and skills. And yeah. so that, it's not saying you lack that, but there's something about this, like, I should be there, hmm. uh, you know, I deserve that, or mm. you're, you should let me in sort of thing that I think is just always one of those things that causes, should cause us to pause.
1: Hmm. So. I think that's a really great segue into the first question that I have for you. As you wrestle with that tension, I feel like you hinted at like, the tension of both confidence and uh, humility as being one element of maybe what a healthy man or leader specifically looks like. Is there any other way that you would define masculinity? I know it's a very big question but what is what does that mean to you how would you define it um I don't know do you have thoughts on that
2: um it's hard because so much of the term itself is um socially constructed meaning that you just it's like like what does it mean to you Mm -hmm. like you know there's it's sort of this characteristics of manhood. I think that's the basic, the baseline definition of masculinity. But then, you bring to it your own, like, what's happened around you. Like, what is it? What have you been taught that it's, mm. it is to be a man? Mm. And oftentimes, the emphasis of masculinity is around the more uh, warrior slash. Um, you know, tough guy, mm-hmm. there's this, you know, there's more of the sense of like, I'm, it's funny, you almost say like the more manly characteristics, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is funny to even like actually even say that because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's, that's where your mind immediately goes. It's like mm-hmm. well, these, these brutish sort of things are the things that you bring forward when you talk about masculinity. At least for me, that's where my mind tends to go and that's mm-hmm. where I want to push back and say, you know, that's, I think the characteristics of manhood are much more uh, full and, mm. than that, um, and it's why I think oftentimes in the topic of masculinity, there it just gives me reason to pause and say, is that really the full way that we want to think about it, hmm. or want to talk about it?
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, you, you have two sons, you've worked with men a lot through the work you've done, in pastoral roles or you worked for FCA for a while and I'm assuming you worked with a lot of young men at that point in your life too. Just in thinking through those things like why is this topic of masculinity important, relevant, why should we talk about it? Um, Yeah I feel like you'd have a great perspective on in your experience why that's important.
2: Yeah probably just what I was Um, commenting on is the sense of the focus of the conversation tends to be on just those more um, on on a very narrow slice of what I think it really means to be a man Mm -hmm. and so uh, to broaden that and to think about some of the other characteristics or the things that you don't naturally think about um, that I think we all recognize are part of being human, not Mm. part of being a man, Mm. uh, that we, you know, tend to not necessarily value or push forward as important. Um, Mm. And, you know, those are, I think this part of my own struggle is just like learning what it like what were those parts of me that didn't maybe necessarily fit the kind of the manly sort of stereotype so hmm. which is sort of funny because you know i I played college football, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like you know there's this sense of like you're I, there's not an another well, maybe there are if you just go to like some real true like MMA sort of thing but as like in the the mainline sports it's like the manly of the manly sort of Mm -hmm. thing and so like there's this sense of even the way I was shaped as a person definitely is related to you know that experience and, and, and in the midst of that coming to grips with like my own ability my own sensitivities and things that were did not seem to fit like football guy Hmm. Um, and like what do I do with that and like how do I you know process that and what does that mean for me and how do I like I feel like you know here's something uh, that's I think I've realized over the years just working is I I feel like I read people and I know like things about a room and about uh, body language and and that's not I mean you're not going to read that in like a a classic men's ministry book mm-hmm. you know like what do you do with that like what mm-hmm. when you see those sort of things like how do you process that um and even you know as Sharon and I fell in love and uh developed a relationship we had to wrestle with the fact that I mean Sharon's a really great leader and strong person and, and in a positive way mm-hmm. uh, and like what is that Mean in a relationship where, like, most of the marriage books that you're reading are (laughs) have this strong leader man type and this follower female type, and you, Hmm. you know, you step into a relationship where it's like that doesn't really fit us, Hmm. you know. And, And it's not that it's not important for me to step in and be a leader at times, um, but I'm grateful that. You know for her gifting and the way that you know God has wired her so I feel like I'm rambling in this question but it's like the, I think that journey just itself is part of what kind of to go back to like why is this important for me I think I've when you're a man you have to wrestle with like these things that pop into your life throughout the different spec- spectrums and journeys of your life where you're you're mm-hmm. have to make sense of it and
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's probably why it's meaningful for me and and Mm -hmm. to hear it talked about today in skewed ways and you know this particularly in the toxic side where you sort of hear some of the real dangers of that it's um yeah it sparks those moments in my journey where I've had to wrestle myself with
0: what it means to be a man. Hmm. I'd be curious to hear more about, so you shared, you shared a bit about the, more of the typical manly aspects of being a man, um, and you've kind of hinted at there being another side to it. Um, so maybe going back a little bit as, as you were younger, what were some of these other sides you started to discover that it might mean to be a man aside from the warrior archetype?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um. I think that I did recognize pretty early on. um, It's funny; it came out in college, but this this sense. So I've already mentioned this, you know, of being able to have a sensitivity around you know people that I'm interacting with. that I did not necessarily, um, I didn't have a category for that. And my almost sort of like pushed it aside. Like that's not something that I should. Like that's not a characteristic that you necessarily want. Um, and probably the, you know, the key moment for me in that was in college in a class where, when we did this exercise at the end of the class where, you're talking you're writing notes to people about the their influence or like what they kind of their contribution in the class. And mm. I remember getting those notes and it like I almost felt embarrassed by mm. and like I didn't know what to do with like your you know, these these comments back to me of just like mm. you're so good at helping us know uh what we're thinking, or how we're feeling, or even they're like they're commenting things that weren't just the classic leadership sort of, mm-hmm. you know, like you take us to bold places. Or, you know, <laughs> it's not like not like the kind of things that you might see in this, uh, you know, in a more classic strong leadership uh, category. You know, I work through a lot of personality profiles. I'm an introvert by nature. I I've been pushed forward into leadership roles which for which i'm grateful and i've had a lot of great leadership experiences but it's been from a you know if you if you look at the uh when i was just starting work that there was this disc profile that was really kind of the leading personality test uh you might be familiar with that and everybody would say that you know the man is the d and the dominant and Mm -hmm. you know and i just I always wanted to score high there, and I just never did. It was' just not and I, and I've you know come to realize and there's been a lot of growth in the personality uh, archetyping, and in particular thinking just of leadership and how to bring leadership out in different areas. but that whole journey, I think of where you just come to grips with, like here's who I am here, but here's sort of what people say leaders should be or men should be. and I you know I don't know that I fit there and like and yet I'm leading. Hmm. What do I do with that? How do I process that? So, I don't know if there's a, actually a defining moment. That college experience is probably the place where, like, I I remember really re- saying, "Oh, okay, that makes sense now." Hmm. Like, you start to s- put together some of the childhood experiences.
1: Hmm. I think it's important that people were able to speak that into you. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's some there's a lot of talk about like finding yourself and learning about who you are and like all that good stuff and I think we often forget that we also have to talk through people have to mirror back to us who we are Mm -hmm. in some ways in order to understand who we are because we're made up of not just ourselves but like who we are in context and so yeah I appreciate that that was something that was a turning point for you.
2: You know it's funny this is kind of goes to I think our you know, the work that we do Page together mm-hmm. is we often uh, miss the fact that our vocation and our work is likely the primary or one of the primary ways that God is going to use, that, that God is going to use to shape us mm-hmm. uh, if we're sensitive to it and aware to it. And And I'm grateful that, you know, I've had a career... A vocation a lifelong experience working in um, nonprofit and church work that has had a christian uh, framework so you know that's certainly been helpful for that i know it can be more difficult when you're in a, not in that context to sort of be able to work through that but i think you're exactly right that it's our if you are looking for it you have People that you're walking alongside with or sitting across the desk from like mm-hmm. you and I have the opportunity to do, where you can enter into conversations and have that those moments of discovery where it's like you know tell me about this and mm-hmm. um, if you see your vocation as a place where that growth can and should happen mm-hmm. then yeah that that your life should be filled with those opportunities to learn from your Co workers and your supervisors, and your, um, you know, the, the vendors or clients that you're working with, where you can ask questions and learn and, mm-hmm. you know, help have them help you discover who you are. I mean, I, I can't imagine, certainly in my marriage, is the primary place in the interaction with Sharon because she knows me fully in ways that others don't. Um, but I can't imagine taking vocation out of that hmm. as part of the formative experience. And unfortunately, in many churches or many, like even you think about Christian formation, you it's not common for people to think about their workplace as a place that God's going to use to hmm. shape that story in their life. And yet it's where most of your conversations happen.
1: Hmm. Hmm. That's a great point. One of the things, too, that I wanted to point out, even when you were talking about, vendors and clients, I don't know, people we work with, that's one of the things that I've noticed about you is that you you take all of those relationships seriously, not just the ones that are sitting across from you that you see every day, but you you make sure you know the names of the people that are helping us at events, and you make sure that you uh, thank the people that may not be thanked, you know, hospitality-wise or food service wide like that's just something that I've noticed about you and how you do live that out not when it uh, seemingly always matters but you know even in the small moments too that's been a cool thing to witness
2: well hopefully I know you're saying that not seemingly matters but you know it does matter yes. so it's like that's <laughs> I think that's the thing is like you're you have to ask the question of does their work matter you know is that meaningful and is that important and and if you do then you're yeah you're gonna value it you're gonna and you would want to communicate with them about it so Mm. yeah i I mean we have the the friend we share in james our ups delivery Mm -hmm. guy so Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so i mean james is a great example it's like that that's really important work and i'm grateful for the work that James does and the way he helps us through his delivery. And, yeah, it would be, it, yeah, it, if, if we're not treating James in that way, then we're tipping our hat to the fact that we don't really think that that's important or hmm. meaningful work. And so hmm. you, I think you first have to say, does that matter? I remember, it's funny, when I was a pastor, I, I really worked at names and I mean, I, and I've worked at it, I think most of my life. That's kind of one of those things that I've, Mm I, I didn't really know why I hadn't really had like a category for it. I knew that it was important. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember an article, I'm sure it was a national article, uh, and it's funny, I can remember it being in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, newspaper is a thing that used to get delivered oh, to your house. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if, you're, if you remember that. <laughs> so, uh, back when you were small. Because <laughs> uh, I rem- actually can visually remember it, but it was... Uh, I, I still have the title in my head. It's like in the name game, it's Caring That Counts mm-hmm. was the title of the article. And it was basically saying if you've ever said i'm not good at remembering names i'm not good at names uh you're everybody has a capability hmm. and the question is going to be like do you care do you care about that person and it, it was just the am, ammunition i needed as a pastor <laughs> to help my other pastors like uh,
1: hmm.
2: not give the cop-out that it's I'm just not good at names because mm-hmm. they would often say to me you're so good at names and it's like oh actually I think it's more that you, you know do you care about those people and yeah. so like your UPS delivery person like do you care about them mm-hmm. like and if if you care about them getting their names is is an easy thing mm-hmm. and so it's a the question is not whether you're good at names, it's like, do you actually care about the people that are around you?
1: Yeah. I don't know if this is – I don't know if this thought will be fully formed. But, like, that's something that I really think is – maybe it's a mature man thing or just a maturity thing in general. But this idea that – I hear this a lot that sometimes when it comes to more – feminine things or uh like cooking or cleaning or um i don't know things that often maybe get put on women the excuse i hear sometimes is like well i'm just not good at that like Mm -hmm. if it's in a marriage or a partnership it's like well i'm she's better at cleaning or she's better at cooking and in some ways i get that like yeah we all grow up with different contexts and we learn certain skills and maybe some people have learned them uh, more quickly than others, but it's something that I have also noticed where it's like, well, I think you have to (laughs) learn. (laughs) Like I think you have to care to learn to do something, which sometimes I think even comes back to pride of we don't often know how to be elementary learners in something again you yeah. know what I mean? Like it takes a certain amount of, okay, I'm going to be humble enough to have to ask a lot of questions and get to know how to do this and be bad at this first, but to take it on because I do care about it or I care about this partnership or this relationship.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really great insight. That's it. It's interesting to think about like where's the point where you're saying I'm not good at that. Yeah. And where does that reveal like what you care about or what's meaningful to you and Mm -hmm. and what does it expose in the sense of Mm -hmm. like your own stereotypes of Mm -hmm. I know I Sharon would uh, tell you that I I'm horrible at finding things in the pantry Mm -hmm. or in the refrigerator (laughs) like that's like and it's it's almost the joke in our you know marriage of just like I try my best. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask. I'd, I want to find it. I, it's like, and I just, and, and she just, it's her ordering system. Hmm. So it's her logic. Mm-hmm. And she's so good at uh, cooking, and she loves that. And so it's like, in some ways, we've, we've worked through that it's a joy for her, not, you know, just a task. But it's like, hmm. I do try to, like, understand where things are. And I'm, yeah, it's funny, even it. 60 years old I'm, I'm still like sometimes when i look in the pantry i get i'm just lost right but, yeah but i try right. <laughs> like, yes. I'm, I'm not gonna yes. just completely ignore that and so that's yeah. good
1: that's
2: good and sharon would tell you i don't try hard enough sure <laughs> we'll fact check her yeah we'll,
1: co- we'll have her come in um cool i would love to ask what and this can get lumped into the same question i guess but what relationships have informed your own journey of masculinity, like how have you, you kind of talked already about those moments that have been turning points for you or at least like critical moments where you had to think through, what do I think about this? Um, so like what, are those, what have those relationships been like over the course of your life and who, who are the men that made you? Is there one or two people that really come to mind with that question?
2: Well, I'm grateful that I had mom and dad who were married and together and present in my life. And so it's like I feel like you've got to start. I have to start with my dad. And I'm grateful, you know, just for the way he shaped me. Um, you know, it's funny. It's like just kind of you kind of walk through there. Certainly athletics was such a part of my life that that was, um, you know, there were coaches along the way. Part of, part of the reason, you know, I went to work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes right out of college, um, wanting to invest in those kinds of people that are, you know, having that uh, kind of impact that they, that they had in my life. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the coaches. You know, it's probably one, uh, one high school coach, uh, my high school football coach, his name was, uh, is Kenny Ray. And Kenny was, it was really interesting and you know, even thinking about this interview and the time that we would spend, Kenny was a person that came to mind in that he was a head football coach and he was the head of the English department in our high school, Hmm. uh, which, you know, sort of broke a stereotype. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, here in, in my, my dad was an engineer, uh, you know I got my degree in engineering, it's like I'm good at those math skills, and i'm there's sort of this yeah, that's what men do, and uh women are good with words, and you know that's English reading mm-hmm. uh and Kenny was like yeah, he broke some of those stereotypes for me it was like, oh okay, it's not necessarily all easily lined up like that, so. To be in the football room and to be good with words, hmm. like that, seemed to some of the first dissonance that I remember feeling around hmm. um, this topic. So Kenny was certainly one of those people. Um, you know, then you start thinking about work and you kind of go through life. There's, uh, there was a man who, when I was, um, had stepped into leadership roles that were beyond my. Capabilities or beyond my, like I was too young in some of the leadership roles that I hmm. was in, uh, and by too young, I now see that I'm grateful <laughs> that I that I had a lot to learn still in some of the leadership roles that I stepped into, and and there was a man who, uh, a consultant who had retired as an executive. He's in Atlanta. His name is Jim Webb, and Jim was kind to. S- I didn't really ask for it. I wouldn't have even known that I felt like I needed a mentor, but Jim mm. Jim just came alongside and said, um, you know, I try to take a, a few young leaders and mentor them and spend time with them, and if you'd want to do that. And I'm really grateful. I still hear his voice in my head. Mm. Uh, you know, it's funny, at 60, like there's things that I learned in my 30s from Jim that just still, um, you know, I'm really grateful for. And then I, you know, you think through coworkers, like, I mean, I've worked with Tom Nelson, uh, who's a friend and more of, I mean, we're each year we get closer in age to one another. So he's a little older <laughs> than I am, but like, we're, it feels like uh, we're the same age. And, but I mean, Tom, just walking alongside of him, both as my pastor and as a colleague and a coworker, I mean, we have, worked together in one capacity or another for almost 30 years Mm. and you know outside of Sharon there's nobody that knows me better than Tom so like we've you know the amount of time that we spent together um, and so I'm I'm really grateful for him for the other people that he introduced me to the other men that he introduced me to uh, most of them on pages and in books Mm. that I'm deeply grateful for hmm. um you know I, I dallas willard is certainly one i had the privilege of spending time with him and if i could pick an ideal grandfather <laughs> or ideal dad it would cool. be dallas uh, and i still hear his voice um just from the times we spent together and you know that i can get tender when i think about him because i Having spent time with him, I like, he's the first person I spent time with that I'd also read and, you know, now still get to read and you you just miss, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm grateful for him. Um, Yeah, there's a few that kind of, if you just, I, I think this is where, like, one of the things that triggered. For me, the goodness of the work that you were doing is when you think about the men who made you or men who are making me, Mm -hmm. it's like that is a lifelong journey. And there's people that, you know, step into your life uh, at different times and play a different role for a different reason. And Mm -hmm. I can definitely, you know, look through my life's journey and just with having a real sense of gratitude for those people that God put in my life at, those,
0: at just the right time Could you elaborate for, and you talked about some of the early ones a bit more in this regard but whether it was the example they set and how they lived their life as a man or whether it was something they brought out of you, what are some of the things that you learned from them or that you gained from them more specifically? I think with my dad
2: I could definitely point back to the fact that dad taught me that everybody matters. Hmm. Like dad loved people and he loved It's funny. I I could probably say that I talked to James the UPS driver because my dad would have. Hmm. So, like dad was one of those people that uh would have conversations with just about anyone. I, I remember growing up like uh, you guys won't remember this, but there was a day <laughs> where the gasoline was not self-service, mm. and your the gas station. There was someone who owned the gas station. It was a small business, and our gas station in the small town that we that I grew up in uh, was owned by Malcolm, and and Malcolm was in in some ways I would. I don't ever remember him coming over for dinner or at a party but it was like he was a family friend like he was uh, you know a person that our family revered and like you I can I can now look back at that and see like that might not have been normal like to have you know especially in nowadays world to have my dad was a corporate executive, so he worked for Conoco and he was uh, he had a really important leadership role in the in a large company, and he was friends with at least from from my perspective as a child he was friends with a gas station owner, uh, a mechanic uh, and and I'm grateful. I mean that definitely is one of those moments where I you know Caleb I think I think about that where it's like yeah he had this value of people that I think I'm that wasn't based on class uh or based on uh the type of job that you're doing. And if you go to Kenny Ray then there you know if you I think through coaches like the fact that Kenny cared about books. Made me start to be interested in that. Like, I can definitely see that. Like i I was one of those kids. I don't remember reading. Like, like I, I don't know. Writing period. Like, yeah. yeah right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I. I Uh, joking because I you know engineering degree I think I got through college without necessarily reading a full book Uh, (laughs) I might have been able to do that which is you know but having Kenny in my life definitely opened me up to the fact that oh maybe there's something more to that maybe that's not just soft if I care about or am interested in books and you know, for that I'm deeply grateful. I I can definitely see that specific moment in my life where he reshaped some of those stereotypes. Hmm. Helped me rethink it.
1: Hmm. One of the things that I think is interesting that you said was like the stereotype that men shouldn't be soft or like the softer side is what stereotypically men try to stay away from. But also the threat that I noticed in the men who made you were people who were in really close proximity to you and who who really, like you said often, like people who really knew you, like really knew not just the image or facade you wanted people to see, but the people who knew the softer, more vulnerable parts. I mean, for men, young men today who are trying to figure out what it means to be a man like I don't know if this is a good question or I don't even know the answer myself but like how do you encourage people to like be known how do you encourage people to access that softer side because I in my perspective I don't know if that's being taught across the board as much a lot of people have called this generation like the most isolated generation because we're living alone and where a pandemic didn't help any of that and so even the element of being known uh, I don't know can you speak to that more
2: yeah I, there's been a lot of conversation around this over the years of like and often around this language of accountability mm-hmm. uh, like how do you form accountable relationships and you know I think Oftentimes, attempt there have been attempts, understandably, to try to f- create a formula
1: hmm.
2: or a pattern. <laughs> like, here's what that exactly looks like. So, I, and I think we all would know that there's not a formula, and so we're all different people. Uh, hmm. and so I, I think, and in particular, you know, once you do, then people find ways to get around the formula. And it's like you're, you know, we are sinful people who have a, uh, a built-in brokenness that, where we want to hide. And so I think that's at, at the core for me, like if, if the things that I, I can look back and see that made a difference and are making a difference in my life is just exactly what you're saying. Is like uh, what does it look like for me to live my life uh, visibly hmm. to the people around me, and to not hide, um, and so I, I remember reading. Oh, this was a big trigger moment point for me, just of learning, just of the, our our tendency in the states and just our country, and kind of this push to independence is to really value and to sort of think privacy is like our our right and we we like claw and clamor we like, we want to protect the, our privacy uh, and I think actually getting to places with certain people where they're you're fully seen is like vital it's like you've got to do that and so I mean simple things for me like Sharon knows all of my email, and she has all my passwords, and there's, you know, we share calendars. She knows where I am at any moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing that it's like I'm – she could look on the phone and find me. It's like there's this sense of, like, it's okay for her to peek into any part of my life and for us to mm-hmm. be able to do that together. And and similarly with my coworkers. I mean, Paige, I think you have my calendar, so it's like, you mm-hmm. know, I – to uh, and I know not everybody's comfortable fully with that um, and I think there's probably some good reasons for it. I just haven't found it in my own life. like hmm. I would rather have my schedule fully known hmm. and for people to know kind of what I'm doing when and and uh and for key people in my life to have access to um, you know those hidden often hidden parts of of my life hmm. i have a friend that we've shared uh, bank statements with and uh, uh you know have taken and looked at like our giving and our income and our savings and hmm. our purchases i have a friend who calls me anytime he feels like he wants to purchase a car hmm. uh he knows that he loves cars <laughs> uh and it's like hey i just you just need to check me on this hmm. and um And so, yeah, to have those people in your life. But primarily for me, it's like trying to get past this sense of protecting and guarding and like thinking of privacy as a right and trying instead to open myself up more.
1: Hmm. That's really good. So you work with churches and pastors a lot. And is there something the church needs to hear uh, or a topic that the church needs to discuss more about? Forming men, masculinity, male identity, like within that specific context.
2: Yeah, I think there's certainly, I mean, this is important in Christian formation. So it's like, yes, the church needs to think about this and to have conversations. So thanks for the work that you're doing that I think can open up that conversation and help people think about it. I think you know if you look at recent church history there's there was a period of time where church attendance was skewed largely female and there was like a um, this question of like why aren't men coming Hmm. and and I think you know as maybe sort of a pendulum swing to the other extreme there's like we've got to create things that are more targeted to men. Mm. And in, in an attempt to try to do that, it, it almost becomes cartoonish or, you know, <laughs> this sort of caricature of mm. what, what it is that would attract men. Um, and, you know, I think you can look now on the other side and see that some of those things that were more around the archetypes or the, you know, the warrior, brute... Uh, strong, you know, those elements of manhood that were an attempt to try to reach men, like let's get men back into the church, uh, ended up, you know, creating some unhealthy Mm. uh, things that, which we shouldn't be surprised by now (laughs) you think about it. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, we're really emphasizing (laughs) those particular characteristics. And now those characteristics are manifesting themselves. I think in some unhealthy ways. Mm. It's like, mm. okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I, I do think it's important for you know, as you think about, it, or as the church thinks about, what is it like to form men and shape men? It's like this, a more full human experience, uh, not a particular uh, angle or slant and. Mm. There are unique things about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, and so you you shouldn't feel like you have to ignore those and just everything is just human. Uh, so, I mean, it's like, you you know, I think it's good to address those, but being careful not to just be pushing into the hmm. stereotype and the kind of books you're putting in front of men hmm. being just the things or curriculum, being the things that are emphasizing... A-type or
1: Mm.
2: yeah and and in particular and you know I want to I don't want to be disparaging to uh, writers who wrote really good things and I think meant good things but you know if you look at like uh, John Eldridge and some of his work around uh, manhood there was this sense of like uh, a, a real heavy emphasis on warrior, leader, hmm. you know, uh, conqueror.
1: Hmm. Um, like the domineering kind yeah. of. Yeah.
2: And again, not that there's, I, I'm sure that there were things in there, if I went back and reread them, it's like, oh, yeah, it was there too. You know, the, uh, some of the softer or other things were there. Mm-hmm. But it seems as if what ended up getting emphasized and pulled out were these things that were. You know, very much of like protector. uh, You you need to conquer, and yeah, I just think that can take us to places that are, and has taken us to places in the
0: church that are unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to hear. um, Do you what, or do you think there are things that the the church has addressed in terms to in terms of masculinity that could be really beneficial for? the non-church world to learn from or um, experience and do you think there's anything that the world like outside of the church I guess more specifically in where we live in the United States could teach the church about being a good man?
2: Yeah that's a good question. I think um, you know I would hope and I think you're I think ultimately I would have to say that this is, uh, you know, the the unique advantage of the church. If you were to say, like, what's what's the business term, the competitive advantage of the church (laughs) uh, regarding manhood, is we have an ultimate example in Jesus, uh, who was a man, who is a man, uh, and a perfect man. So it's like we you get this. If, if you're going to teach manhood, and you are, it's not grounded in Jesus, then there seems to be a, a pretty in the church context. There seems to be a pretty big gap, and so then you have to think about like those characteristics, which I think is you know to use that as a starting point feels to me like the the one thing that we uh, could be missing out on as we talk about manhood with those who are not in the church and again yes he turned over tables and there were moments of anger and there were these incredibly tender sensitive moments that I think we can all look at and see that might not fit our stereotype or the archetype that we would put forward today so that feels like the you know the first thing that jumps out to me that like actually stopping and thinking about him and and you know there's a pretty high acceptance rate of him as a person like as if you were to think through like just the like what do people think about jesus it's like yeah he's it's a pretty high approval rating (laughs) (laughs) inside the church and outside the church Hmm. um it's what oftentimes the institutions or the churches do with that that you know where people have the pushback and so um you know what how can our culture and kind of the non church world inform? uh I do think maybe there's been more um, positively progressive, and I use that term in a positive way, thinking around the the more feminine attributes that. Are important for being human, and you know to actually think stop and think about that for the church to think about it and maybe push against some of the just the general stereotypes or caricatures um, yeah, that feels important for me to like to th- again just think of this more fully formed human being that is not just pushing down one particular characteristic Mm
1: -hmm. that's good even just the ability to ask questions and have more of that critical eye I don't know sometimes I wonder if the church is the best at asking hard questions Mm -hmm. and maybe that's where some of that comes from outside of church context is just not necessarily being definitive about this is what it should or shouldn't look like but just the simple question Mm -hmm. around it Mm mm-hmm are there, are there any examples of fictional or pop culture characters that you look to as like positive examples of masculinity? <laughs>
2: you just you're asking this question just because you know I love Ted Lasso. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. He was the first one that comes to mind when you ask that question, just in the sense, and maybe it's the fact that I I am an athlete. I can relate to the locker room. Hmm. There's something unique about him in the sense of uh, his positive outlook, unlike his life, his love for people, his sensitivity.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, both his tenderness and his toughness seem yeah. to uh, come out. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the first person that comes to mind when you okay. when you say from a pop culture standpoint. Um, it is fascinating that he took off so much. Like, you, you have to ask the question, like, why? Like, what's what's actually underneath that? Some oh, of it might be so just, yeah, yeah. It, it might just be s- well-timed with the pandemic. Like, we we needed a show mm-hmm. at that moment. And he makes us laugh. And for those of us in Kansas City, he's from Kansas City. Right. So it's like there's there's certain elements of it. But it's like, I think there's more to it, actually. I think there's actually some things that he's bringing out some stereotypes that he's pushing against uh there's some relationship dynamics in there that are I think really unique that we may not understand like why we're liking it but I think mm. uh, underneath it there is there's more to it so without mm. without turning this podcast into a, an analysis of Ted Lasso <laughs> there's my short answer so
1: that's good yeah I I've watched a bit of it too and I think one of the things that, in the tension that you're talking about with some of his tenderness and toughness, I I especially noted that it takes a certain bravery and confidence to go into a place uh, and change the culture, not for the more domineering or uh, rough and tough, but actually for the kinder. like for the better, uh, to change a, sh- a culture. For those who don't want to show, Ted Lasso is a s- soccer coach who um, becomes a soccer coach, really without much <laughs> experience at all, and has to kind of go in and, and help this soccer team that's struggling across um, in England, is it? I don't <laughs> actually know. <laughs> uh,
2: who are you to explain this page? I don't know. Maybe I should have <laughs> let you do this. <laughs> you maybe Caleb's <laughs> got it. <laughs> Um. well I mean I think it's exactly the the point is that it's coaching is not primarily about the, the actual sport hmm. and so I mean this is yeah. where I think he's digging into the at the essence coaching is about the team hmm. and and it's about something more than the technicality because he knows nothing about the sport or little <laughs> about the sport and so it, but it's he knows about humans and he knows about people right. and in some ways you could you could you can transfer those to leadership, you can transfer those to you know so many other categories. It's like you don't necessarily have to know the actual skill and if you're leading a team of people, it's largely the knowing people hmm. and being and again then taking him as like i think he's a really great example of caring and just really. I love the fact he talks to everybody and you know he knows all their names and, mm-hmm. you know of course the things that we've already talked about but yeah. it's like yeah you should watch that
0: show page okay. it's really Thanks. good
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it on my list <laughs> well,
0: I I do like it how it connects back to the idea that we were talking about earlier showing that you care because mm. I think leadership is often misperceived as oh this is the this is the most capable person so they know what they're doing more than everyone else we're going to follow them mm when in reality the reason that people look up to leaders is often because leaders are the ones that show that they care um, Mm -hmm. and are able to uh, just express that and then bring people in alongside them Mm -hmm. and of course there has to be some level of competence um, or things yeah will fall apart but um, for the most part yeah it sounds like from our conversation and just Thinking a little bit more about that idea, uh, there really is something to the leader as the person who cares the most, as opposed to the person who has the most skills or competencies.
2: Mm-hmm. And and part of that caring is even a willingness to admit that you don't know, like, and that there are people around you that know better. So it's like there's that. I think you really hit it, Caleb. That that sense of it's it's caring about the people and bringing out the best in them that's often going to be much better than how you would actually do that so Mm -hmm. like how you would actually be able to accomplish it
1: is there anything you would go back and teach your younger self about masculinity or what it means to be a man
2: this is a hard question i think you're you know we all have regrets, and we all have things that we wish we could do over, and then it's like ultimately you can't and so it's like you're you're uh, and you go forward and and even when you look for or you look back, the things that you uh, you did not do well were hugely shaping, and like it's like I don't know that I'd want to take that out of my life and so you know, I think if I were to go back and just, I, I probably would have had more, um, uh, discovery maybe, or might've done some of that sooner and like actually trying to understand more of who I am, hmm. um, but then when I go back and look, it's like some of that started to creep out in high school, college. I don't know that you can do it much sooner than that. So, it's like, mm-hmm. um, I'm really grateful for the people that shaped me and the way God unfolded that in my life. And so, I, yeah, nothing's immediately popping out. Like, oh, I'd really love to replay that.
1: I think that's quite profound, like, None of us who are going to be listening to this can go back and actually tell our younger selves something, but we can take our experience and the wisdom from other people and do our best to go forward with that.
2: Yeah, I think that sensitivity, and you've really already brought that up, Paige, just the willingness to ask good questions of yourself. and whether they're being verbalized or not you know they're internally you're you're processing through that I know you do that a lot Um, I can see those questions swirling around in your head when you're sitting across from me (laughs) and uh, to be able to ask those questions to make sense of your journey and your what you're doing and like that's really essential and I think the temptation is to just uh, move through life in a more mechanical way
1: mm.
2: and this is where it's like even vocation I'm, I'm grateful for your generation that are all, you'll, you will you won't live with a disconnect from meaning in your vocation in the mm. way that my generation would mm. so there was much more a willingness with my peers to go to work to make money, to not have a meaningful connection to, like, mm-hmm. why does that matter mm-hmm. so that I can get on to the real things in life that matter. And I think, you know, for your generation, there's not that. You're not as willing to do that. Uh, and I think that puts you in a place of um, being capable of asking these Deeper questions of meaning in the midst of your vocation, in the midst of your work that make you sensitive to the people that are around you. That I'm, yeah, I think is a really good thing.
1: One of the things that I just want to note as we're wrapping up is that someone said, like, if you trust the people you trust with your questions uh, are the people that, you know, hold your respect, the people that you, trust the most and I just want to say probably to make you uncomfortable but I just want to say like thank you for being one of those people that holds my questions really well and we've said this before but there's something about uh, masculinity in a healthy version that isn't necessarily the one that's like the boldest or loudest in the room but the person who is safest in the room and that is Consistently, what I attribute to you. So, thank you for. Obviously, you're not someone who has fully shaped me as a person, but you have certainly contributed to that with the way that you make people feel known, feel safe, and a safe place for those questions. So, thank you.
2: You're welcome. (laughs) And yes, slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And I think it's. And not an attempt to get the final word, by the way, but <laughs> your your curiosity and eagerness to ask those questions plays a huge part in that, so I don't want to just minimize that. And, and actually, for the people that are listening, my hunch is that most of them have a person like me that's very close uh, to them, uh, proximate, that they could... Uh, ask questions to. And so I think this is sort of this unique moment that I find myself in. Uh, Have I mentioned I'm 60? I think I've mentioned that a few times. I turned 60 this year, (laughs) so that's like this weird, you know, sort of like new phase. I I don't think I've had a birthday that's necessarily affected me quite as much. Uh, But there's this dance, I think, between those of us that are um, more mature or older and further along with some wisdom and uh, those that are in your age group that are emerging and have questions to ask and like we have this huge um, on my end we have this huge like we'd love to be having these conversations but we don't know we don't want to come across as paternalistic or is this you know like we're dumping, we have wisdom to share with you, you should ask me questions, or I'm mm-hmm. just going to give you, here's the three things that you should know, uh, like in your 30s or in your 20s. And, and and you feel uncomfortable, like, well, I don't know if they want to, am I imposing? Mm-hmm. And so there's this sort of dance that goes back and forth between the generations or between, you know, those that are further along and those that are asking. And so a big part of the, I think, conversation that we've been able to have together is just really accredited to you stepping over the line and asking some questions and so I'm grateful that we can do that together Uh, but for the listeners particularly those that are in the younger uh, season of their life to just know the goodness of Mm. being willing to take a risk with someone and ask Hmm. questions is really vital to that and, and probably for for those of that are in my spot like to actually think through like what does it look like for me to in healthy ways step into the life of a, a younger um, emerging leader in your hmm. organization or in like how do you invest in them uh, hmm. and not be paralyzed in, in an hmm. attempt to try to do that
1: that's really good As we wrapped up that interview, Kevin did make sure to thank Caleb and I, by name, for the work we were doing, just in case you were wondering. He holds true to his virtue, I can tell you that. Thanks to Caleb Miller, Bethany Van Ups, and Emmy Stewart for the help in making this podcast happen. Thanks to Kevin for joining us and spending time with us very early on a Thursday morning. Thanks to Smith the Mister for the use of their music on this episode. And thanks to you, the listener. If you have questions, comments, or even topics you want covered on episodes to come, please send us an email at our very official account, menwhomade.me@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Feel free to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And we're also on Instagram, if that's your thing. We hope you'll join us next time on another episode of The Men Who Made Me. Thanks for tuning in.